Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is a monumental week at Spike Week. We had our tools release. We're still working out the kinks on a few of those things, but those will be back up and running pretty soon. And not only are we doing stuff with tools, but we have the Spike Week Royal Rumble on Friday. And today, one of the competitors in the Royal Rumble is joining me, and we're going to make $3 million before we make that draft. So join us as we uh, make everybody else poor and ourselves rich. And you know what would be good is if I had stuff ready and I didn't because that's what I do. going on spags thanks for joining us over here on spike week yeah, thanks for having me rob i'm excited to be on here i've i said a buy for once i love your guys branding especially for the best ball bros videos and i feel like you know best ball advice you guys are doing a great job with that but really what i look for is youtube thumbnails and that's where that's where the money's really made in the best balls so making <laughs> sick youtube thumbnails for when you lose it all in best ball mania three right when you're you know you're down 50 percent on your overall return on investment and uh it's just like we made the best thumbnails it's that's what we do um so you're joining us this Friday for the Spike Week Royal Rumble, which I am going to announce all the competitors, save one, tomorrow on the Spike Week thing, on the Spike Week Twitter. So as of right now, it's you, it's Pete, it's Davis Maddock, it's Michael Leone, um, Sean Siegel, and Ben Gretchard team. We have the two best ball millionaire winners from last year, Liam and Felix, amongst others. What is your level of excitement to actually be able to trash talk some of these people i mean i'm looking forward to it i think the concept is fun once you said royal rumble i was like okay i have to do that one mm -hmm. I, as somebody who worked at wwe my first job out of college i have to represent the uh the brand accordingly even though it led to literally nothing in my career uh it was a delightful experience all the same and, and i feel like too the fact that you put out a promo video like i mentioned to rob he did a video of himself being stole cold steve austin getting hit by a chair by pete that's the level of commitment to a bit that we do all the time on splash play that i just glad to see somebody else in the space doing did you see this past weekend's the macho man one i missed that one no i've been so like i mentioned to rob oh, before no. the show i've been a little bit sick i've also uh been on quote unquote paternity leave and i'm walking through it working through it so i've had to take <laughs> care of the baby more so my online time has been sparse but now i need to see it now are we going to play it on the show just to give people a taste do you do you want to 
I can cue that up. All right, let's play it. Let's just go ahead and play the Macho Man video. There we go. Nothing means nothing. Yeah, nothing means nothing. Unjustifiably in a position that I'd rather not be in, but the cream will rise to the top. Yeah. See, I've been maligned by the sources up above. And let me take a moment and let me point at the vice president of this company because he's scared, yeah, for King Coakley to be the ultimate representative of the Roto-Grinders Corporation. And now let me talk to you for a second, Dan Bob, because I know it was you that sent Peter Overzet to hit me with that steel cheer and my moment of glory. Now I'm living in a nightmare, yeah, but that's okay. All right, we'll do that as a little bit of a taste for that video. But my, so I, I haven't really announced it too much, but I am working in some capacity with Roto Grinders now. And in my first two weeks, I decided to call out the vice president of the company in a promo <laughs> video. And uh, here we are. So I haven't gotten fired yet, but we're working on it, I guess. I mean, honestly, there's not a lot of times, even sick, I do welcome the chance to do a Macho Man impression. I have one of my own. So but let me just, <clears throat> oh, yeah, brother, what you want to do, Dan Bob? Because you want to get here on Spike Week. Test yourself, test your metal, brother, against all these fellas in the Royal Rumble. What are you scared? What are you a coward? When me and Miss Elizabeth come through, when I, when I, oh, I, when I dig her out, I was like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, I can't be doing that on your channel. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm jealous because, like, the one thing that I, I'm upset about in my life is that I do not have a great Macho Man impression. So I kind of had to wing it and just kept my own promo along with mixing in the Macho Man promo. So it was a little, um, it's a little humbling. Yeah, a little bit of like a throat surgery combined with a <laughs> copious 80s cocaine usage. And that's how you get to your Macho Man impression. But you had to look down and that's really half the battle. Yeah, I mean, that's what you got to do. You got to you got to commit to the bit, right? And just uh, go full impression. And I've actually been forced to wear these sunglasses on my last two streams and then i wore them as some people know i have a completely different type of channel where i do ghost stories that is actually going really well and i wore them for a bit on last week's show on that and that really threw everything off so uh, <laughs> i mean they're not quite spooky though i guess you know macho man is technically a ghost so that's true I'm you from the beyond brother yeah. you just gotta put your ghost tassels on you're good to go <laughs> My ghost tassels. <laughs> All right. You popped me with that one. You popped me with that one. I, I need to know a little more about the WWE job, just since we're all, all talking about it, just because I'm very jealous. Although I do know somebody that worked there and it wasn't his favorite experience in the world. So I mean, I can tell you kind of the general thing. It was chaotic. Like it was, again, my first job out of college. I went to USC, uh, majored in public relations, quickly realized I didn't want to do that. But when you have your degree and you spend an ungodly amount of money, you got to do it. Um, the VP of publicity at WWE at the time was a woman who was also a USC alum. So I basically got the, gob, uh, the job entirely through nepotism or whatever the college equivalent right. of that would be. She ended up getting fired two months into the job for sleeping with a wrestler who uh, Rob might remember it. For you guys out there who are less, you know, more casual wrestling fans, you remember Vito, the guy who wore a dress? as like yes. a gimmick for a while. Yeah, yeah. so she slept with Vito um then made me get Vito in the playgirl 
Um, and then as part of this job, so that didn't get her fired. What got her fired was John Cena was promoting the Marine at the time. Um, and she sent him to uh, Paris Island to do like a Marine boot camp. And John Cena is 6'1". As if you guys have seen him, all he's built like a brick shit house. Like he's enormous. So right. he shouldn't be going through a Marine barbed wire course before like a pay-per-view. And that's what got her fired. But uh, but yeah, I did get a wrestler on the cover of Playgirl. Uh, Big Vito, I'm sure. Vito LaGrasso, whatever his real name is. I'm sure it's not. He's probably not Italian at all. He's probably like <laughs> Eastern European. Uh, but whatever. I'm sure he's really thankful for me. But good experiences. Like I learned a lot. But certainly, you know, it is uh, it's a very different company now. And, and part of the reason I left is right. like they didn't want to go on facebook in 2006 and that's like now it's they're the biggest thing on facebook or the biggest thing on the internet overall they were so behind on all the social media stuff and some of the mm -hmm. stuff that i used to love reading from wrestlers is uh i'm a big cm punk fan just have been for my whole life and he was big on twitter before you know it really blew up mm -hmm. and the company was upset about you know some of the guys being on twitter and then you know six months later they're trying to get him to go through a course on how to use twitter it's like yeah it's like, i mean punk trying was to tell one me. of my guys like i got punk um actually went to the did a ghost hunters halloween special with punk and he was dating maria at the time and it was yep. like an overnight special and like punk was one of those guys where like i loved him because i knew him from ring of honor and the samoa joe stuff and all that um just thought he was like a brilliant you know character guy but also somebody who looks different and resonated and um and i actually had to battle like you know internally for somebody who's like fucking i was 22 at the time um like I had to actually like really battle against people and go like, this guy's really good. He should be one of the people we're doing stuff with. And then they did. And then obviously, you know, ended up going uh, against them. But um, I like to believe that he like, I'm probably one of few people that he might like, but we didn't keep up. I wish I had CM Punk in the Rolodex right now. That would be valuable. Yeah. Then you could tell him that I have a gigantic CM Punk tattoo, but we won't get into that because I do. But the other thing that we have to hit on before we get into this draft, because I am upset, is another un another thing not related to football. Did you see, you saw, because I tweeted about it, they're going to do a Joker sequel, which I'm already hesitant because there shouldn't have been a Joker origin story to begin with. And I don't know how deep in the rabbit hole you get into DC stuff or comic book stuff. But now they're going to make a musical for the second movie. What are we doing? What are we doing? I mean, I think it's an odd choice, but like the first Joker, like I think part of what people missed with the first Joker and a lot of people kind of, you know, tied their personal identity to it in a weird way, but it yeah. was like kind of parodical of like toxic male masculinity stuff. Yeah, these are kind of topics that we got to talk about in best ball drafts. And I think that's something that, you know, like if you are playing with the art form a little bit, I get why you would do a musical next, but I saw, yeah, you, you tweeted out it was Lady Gaga in it. And I, you know, granted that's not the first name that comes to mind for me with my, uh, my Joker enjoyment or comic book movie enjoyment, but you can't be mad at an artist playing with the space, I guess. And if they're going to pay you a $100 million budget to do a musical with Lady Gaga, if that makes you happy, you know, more power to you. I just probably oh, wouldn't want to go see it. I would take the money and make yeah. the movie. You you could pay me $2 million and I would go make that movie, you know, like because because I like money. But <laughs> in terms in terms of like uh, fans, like who are they? Who are they like showing? Who is this movie for is my question. Um I don't know. I, I'm very angry about it, and I got to get some coherent thoughts out about it. At some Maybe there's point. some like demographic research out there where it's like, oh, there's a big overlap between Joker fans and Lady Gaga fans, and they just can't self-actualize it. Now this is their chance to finally be little monsters like they've dreamed of. Yeah, they're like, you know what? The Joker did really well. You know what didn't do well? Cats. Let's combine them. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, okay. Yeah. All right. So why don't we get into a um, best ball mania draft and? When did you, obviously you work a lot with Pete and he's a big best ball guy. When did you like really 
become committed because you're i know you're real deep in best ball now so. so for me part of it was that you know frankly with having the baby dfs time has been pretty sparse and also moving to the east coast like it just changed my process enough that i didn't have um you know the time every day to dedicate especially for nba where it's like you're locked in basically you know 2 p.m on the you know i guess it depends on how you're approaching it but like 2 p.m to now 8 9 p.m where you have to update for injuries and all of that and it's so tedious whereas best ball to me is more like a video game where you can kind of jump in do it in the background i can feed the baby i can you be doing errands around the house and all that so that's a part of it for me is just kind of enjoying the process more but it's also you know frankly that i spent my time at, at what's now stochastic for so long at osmo learning so much about you know the process of profitability and all that and i know mm -hmm. the dfs guys have it figured out to a t Fastball, you know, candidly, I don't think has been figured out. And I think that's, you know, like Rob, I'm sure, you know, like five different guys. You're having some of those guys in the Royal Rumble who've won a million dollars or hundred thousand dollars. And it's like guys who I think are smart, but guys who just kind of did the legwork to know what the process looks like. So I think best ball is really one of the more solvable, you know, betting industry things out there right now. And that to me is just kind of where the joy is like, A, it's fun to do the process of drafting, but then B, it's like if there is an edge and there is an edge just by being up on the news and being up on ADPs and understanding how structural drafting works. Like I want to be there and, and hopefully, you know, it won't go <laughs> blow up entirely in my face this year. Yeah. I, I'm kind of the same way where game theory was a big thing for me. I actually, I don't write articles for spike week, but I've been flirting with the idea of writing one and the reasons why I'm into best ball as much as I am, because it doesn't make sense for me coming from like a poker background where I played a bunch of poker and you have those instant returns. You do not have those instant returns on best ball, but I think that's part of the fun is you are, a doing a strategy game and you're also trying to solve it and uh it's just not going to be solved anytime soon we're going to need years and years of data we yeah, are going to oh, sorry we're just uh, i like liam's success i think is one that i would point to with you know him being a chess guy and coming in and winning that million with i, I don't think he maxed out the tournament i might be wrong about his origin story but uh, we can go back to that after you make the pick yeah so just in terms we got the fi the fifth overall pick which is my favorite spot to draft from right now to be perfectly honest and Unless you have some big pitch against Jamar Chase, I'm smashing Jamar Chase here every time. Yeah, I'm normally in the five hole taking whatever receiver falls. And I think Jamar mm -hmm. Chase is as good as any of them, you know, for the most part. Um, we obviously saw him win, you know, best ball mania last year and be a key part of that. But um, yeah, I honestly personally have grown to prefer the turn, like the the back end of the turn. I hate the one on one spot, as people saw on the, the solo stream I did on Friday on our Splash Play channel, where I just taking running backs, having to build hyper fragile, just never for me. But, you know, like I think getting a receiver in the first round, especially at ADP, is always going to be the move that I want to gravitate towards the most. Yeah, it's, it's generally. I'm trying to take more stands in the first round and that's kind of been my position going forward this year is I'm not going crazy on taking stands, but for me, I'm looking at that four or five turn where I'm taking Jamar chase, no matter what, the only way I'm getting Justin Jefferson is if chase gets drafted before him. And I love Justin Jefferson. It's just, I feel as though making a stand on one of those two guys is either going to, it can give you a big edge in the tournament if you pick correctly. And it's, it's a razor thin margin, but you hit that you hit that pick correctly on if it's Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson, you're going to have a lot of different teams built around those guys that other people aren't going to have. So I am taking more stands is one of my general consensus for best ball this year. So what are your exposures looking like then? Are you like heavy, heavy on Chase and just not getting a lot of Jefferson or are you kind of just still taking Jefferson enough that it's mostly flat? No, because I haven't been fortunate with ADP at the, I mean, with um, draft spot in the beginning, mm -hmm. I had a 40% 12th hole spot rate going for a long time. So my, my 
Justin Jefferson exposure is real low. My chase exposure is decent. The guy that I have a huge percentage of right now is MVS. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be changing because I don't know how much you've been drafting the last two weeks, but God has he shot up the board. And yeah, it's very sad. He's, but, he's getting steamed heavy, but I think it's justified. Like I would say, debating it with Pete, like I think the athletic articles to me are the best barometer of somebody actually justifying you know, the ADP jump. Um, where it's mm-hmm. like, if, you, if they have a thousand word profile on how great MVS is, which they did last week, like, I think that's worth going his way. People were just going to Sky more because he got drafted and like, you know, and he was fun and talked about in a few streams. But I think if you're you know, going to have a thousand word profile with Mahomes talking about how great this guy is and how he's so fast and he's learning from Devontae Adams, like those are the kinds of ADP teams I'm willing to buy into. But if you got him out of value, kudos to you. Right. We are on the clock here again. We're looking at like Mark Andrews, Alvin Kamara, Fournette, T. Higgins, Barkley, A.J. Brown. Anyone sticking out? Javante Williams. I like the elite tight end, but I'm willing to go to T. Higgins if you want to get that that Bengal stack. So I'll defer to you between those two. Um, I'm not taking a ton of Mark Andrews, so I think for me, I'll I'll go with that elite tight end of Mark Andrews. I don't love his draft position right now, so I've been fading him for the most part. I am after. You know what I'm going to do? I am going to flip this so that we are more able to see this a little bit better. And everything's going chaotic. You got, you got games going on in the background. Between <laughs> the rod room here. Sometimes when I put that screensaver on for the Spike Week thing, it'll just jump to the end and it just ruins my entire day. But I, I will say I got the studio Chromecast here where I just used my old Chromecast and connected it to a monitor. And I feel like it makes it feel premium. Like I just literally grabbed the YouTube thumbnail and just put it on the background here. And it's like, it feels like a real living studio when you have that background screen doing something, ideally not playing Metroid, but you know, each his own. <laughs> yeah. So I, that I'm looking into doing something like that so that I don't have the same problem, but I basically just created a separate YouTube channel and uh, made some videos and, that was kind of the the strategy there for the short term. And then I got, I want to say lazy, but I've just been doing a million things to fix it. It adds up. Look, when you're when you're doing stuff at all, like I, for me, the mental bandwidth of like learning how to produce stuff. And we got Paul in the chat, who's also, I think, in the draft as, as I was inverted, uh, saying yeah. size of the draft screen. I got browbeaten for how I was sizing the draft screen on our, our splash play stuff. And I had to actually go in and practice on my own on how to size it and get it right. And uh, those are the things that you don't realize with uh, the best ball community. Very, very particular with how they want their drafts presented. Yeah, they they will roast you continuously and they don't forget either. <laughs> so they will they will they will let you they will beat you into submission on everything that you do wrong, which is fun. Makes yeah. it a lot of fun. So we are gonna be coming back up on the clock. We've already gone Jamar Chase, we've gone Mark Andrews. Here's a question for you that I've been asking anyone that I bring on streams. You were drafting last year. What is your take on how much quarterback has changed in the draft room? And if you want um, to hold I- your thought till after we draft that's fine they do go higher you know i think this year what i'm seeing overall from my perspective and um i would be glad to go receiver here again if unless you feel differently um where you'd be looking at uh williams waddle hollywood uh i mean i like any of those guys besides waddle personally let's grab williams let's just get some exposure to that chargers team okay i don't hate that 
So go ahead about quarterbacks. Sorry. Yeah. So quarterbacks to me, like I think the main thing, and this is something where I know you guys are doing a lot of research as well. You know, Rotoviz, I talked to Drico a lot over there. Who's one of the guys that won six figures on FFPC last year. Um, I'm trying to kind of be mindful of what I think seems to be in every article that I read. That's people, you know, breaking down the optimal strategy is not taking that QB till round six. Maybe some mm-hmm. guys you can take in round five. I know Lamar and um, Kyler Murray are guys that tend to grade out a little better in that perspective, but like the ideal QB zone, like elite tight end and ideal QB zone seem to be there for me in every structural drafting article I read. And that's my approach is like, I like to dig in, you know, obviously I'm talking to people like Rob, talking to people like Drico, talking to people like Pete and getting the best information I can from them. But if you're reading articles and you kind of see an underlying theme with everything, like that's part of what my research process is like, what are the really, you know, it's like averaging out projections across DFS sites. Like if you get that average of what everybody's saying and figure out what are these common themes for everything that everybody's saying, I think that's sort of where the value at is. So I get less Josh Allen. I get less Mahomes unless he falls. Sometimes Mahomes does fall weirdly, but a lot of mm-hmm. Joe Burrow, a lot of Trey Lance, uh, maybe less Jalen Hurts than I probably should be getting. But I think it's me, Joe Burrow and Trey Lance are probably the guys that fit most comfortably with where I'm drafting QBs. I've been grabbing some elite my my exposure to quarterback is been more of the elite qbs because i'm looking at week 17 and everyone's looking at week 17 in terms of stacking and i'm also looking at week 17 in terms of guys that can actually win you the week mm-hmm. so who is a guy that can score you 40 points and you know josh allen's one of those guys and who's the last guy that can do that it's it's probably that russell wilson range if you're lucky and then you're not getting another one. So I understand your point. Like Trey Lance, yes, that's it's actually probably Trey Lance is the last one. But I, I don't want a guy for my first QB past Trey Lance is the overall point of that. So I have been flirting with grabbing some of the um, the more high end quarterbacks when I'm drafting. Yeah, and I get the logic. I know we actually, so I've been trying to dispatch, you know, my day job, I, I run things for Football Outsiders and their parent company as an uh, SVP of content and strategy. And we've been trying to task those guys to use like what Football Outsiders data is. Like you guys all there out there, probably no DVOA, but they have a lot of great, you know, data analysis points, but just haven't been doing best ball stuff like a Rotoviz has or a lot of the, your, you know, Spike Week is or even a Roto Grinders historically. Um, mm-hmm. So they brought some perspective on that stuff. And they found, you know, based on some of the research that those middle round QBs spiking up has more value because then you're raising the entire, you know, wide receiver tied with them um so i think that has some appeal to me but um <laughs> so zeke or deontay i would go deontay again i would just keep seven receivers rob this is my bid is i will not take a running back for the first at least five rounds but preferably eight that that is everyone that we know is bit everybody under the bus and just said i'm gonna draft running backs left and right and abandon everything i've been saying on streams for three years <laughs> So we'll take Deontay because I don't have a lot of him. But another guy that I don't have a lot of in this range that like I had this light bulb go off in my head yesterday when I was drafting is Cam Akers. And I was just looking at him and I'm like, I have like no Cam Akers because I like everyone around him. I like Darren Waller. I don't hate Terry McLaurin. I I like um, some of the receivers around him. So I've been drafting everyone but Cam Akers and I'm like, Cam Akers was a first round pick last year before the injury. Mm -hmm. So if he actually lives up to what his value should be he's going to be a first or second round value so you're getting a running back in the fourth round that can give you first round production especially on an elite offense like the rams and maybe i should be looking at grabbing more cam acres as a first second or even if i'm going with like a hyper fragile build for running back but i think he fits into any category of team you're building yeah, I get the logic, and I think you know the ADP falls enough. Where I think when I was starting to draft, um, when you know this started, Best Ball Mania came out in the puppy. Acres is mid thirties still, and like 
you know, I think there's enough going for him. I have been tending to avoid the really crowded rooms of, you know, running backs and wide receivers where the Rams do have acres. They also drafted Kyron Williams. They have uh, Darrell Henderson is still there at a lower ADP. Um, Williams mm-hmm. is getting drafted at all, which I feel like maybe could be a mistake, but um, that's neither here nor there. I would say from my perspective, though, I'm always going to try to leverage against the higher ADP running back just because we know from fantasy, we know, especially at this point of year, that training camp is going to be coming up in, in four weeks and somebody's going to tear an ACL. Somebody's going to tear an Achilles. And I really, at this point of the year, like drafting the backup running backs for the guy who could benefit if something weird happens or they just get ahead in camp somehow. Um, so I get less acres, but like the logic is there. And, and when he came back in last year in the playoffs, they were feeding him 25 touches a game like he was never gone. Exactly. Like they, even though he looked terrible and rightfully so, he was coming off an injury that he probably shouldn't have been out there with, to be perfectly honest. But th- it shows you that they're committed to acres. So that's part of it. And I'm way underexposed to him, is, is my overall point. So it was kind of like a light bulb moment. Like maybe I, I'm not going to go out of my way to take him every draft, but I am mixing him in a little more here and there. And that's, yeah, that's the importance of the ADP based drafting too, where if a room is going to give you acres, you know, 10 spots after ADP, you probably have to take them like at a certain point and call people's bluff and just not keep doing the same things that your biases are putting you towards. And, and that's an important part for the people out there that are doing best ball for the first time or really investing heavily for the first time is like, you got to trust the ADPs, trust the market data. That's the most powerful thing in betting and and anything you do. Um, and, and not assuming, you know, better, um, I would say we take Lamar here. I know we got some pushback about um, Mark Andrews being better with Huntley last year. I just don't care. They just don't have a lot of receivers at this point. Yeah, I mean, and the thing about Lamar is I take Lamar sometimes without stacking him and because the only two people that you really want to stack him with is Andrews or Richard Bateman right now. I mean, you can take an 18th round flyer on some of those other guys, Duvernay or um, the other guy's name is escaping me, Tywin Wallace, I think. Yeah. Uh, but – Lamar is one of those guys that I'm fine not – we obviously have him stacked, but if you don't stack Lamar, who cares? Like, of all the quarterbacks, who's the one that could go for, like, 150 and three touchdowns on the ground himself? It's Lamar Jackson. So I would prefer to stack him, but getting that Lamar stack is very difficult because it's Andrews in the second or it's Bateman in the fourth, and you might have to reach on one of them a lot, which I've done somewhat, but – it is not an easy stack. I guess you could stack him with Dobbins too, but again, he's right in that same drafts um, ADP as Bateman and Lamar. So, yeah, I'm not the biggest believer in stacking the quarterbacks or the running backs unless they're like a pure pass catcher, like a McKissick or a Naheem Hines. I guess Hines, part of the thesis of him uh, being worth drafting is that he could get some of that Jonathan Taylor work if Taylor were to go out or or just be you know less less effective for whatever reason might be the case this year. Uh, but like I, there's that's a weird part about the DFS stuff bleeding into best ball more is that. I think people are real fungible with that in a way that confuses me where it's like, okay, if we're stacking for week 17 correlations, if you were to build a DFS line for week 17, you're probably not going to stack your QB and running back. You're probably not going to you know, have a triple stack at receiver with your QB. And I think some of that with like what you're saying about Lamar, like you take one target with Lamar. Like, I don't think you have to stretch and force a Duvernay or a Wallace in the 18th just to get that second guy in because Lamar, we know like if you're running him in an optimizer, if you're playing fantasy cruncher or roto grinders optimizer, like you're going to say like, Hey, must have one. And you might not even say must have one. Um, so I think that's something where, you know, if you're going to do the DFS principles, do every DFS principle or, but half stepping it, I feel like maybe a little more minus CV than people are giving credit for. Yeah. And for me with these quarterbacks that are, have the huge rushing upside in general, I'm only single stacking them. I'm not double. Like I'm never double, like maybe one team of double stack Lamar and it might've been by mistake, but that, that guy, I'm not, I'm not double stacking him. I'm not double stacking Lance hurts. Like it's only single stacks because I, my thesis is 
I need them in week 17 to run for two touchdowns and throw two. So mm-hmm. double stacking. I just want to hit the right guy with that with that single stack. Yeah. And I would say too the fact that we got, you know, one of the Pittsburgh guys with Deontay Johnson. Like I think we we have a nice little Baltimore Pittsburgh week 17. So I'm cool with that. Um I would go Josh Jacobs here, but if you want to keep hammering receiver, I'm I'm not gonna ever be opposed. Well, if we were gonna hammer receiver, it would probably be Ayuk right now. Um running back is ugly. What are we looking at here? Are you not a Drake London believer? I am not a huge hmm. Drake London believer. I well, I don't believe in the Atlanta offense overall. So if I'm taking my stand on the Atlanta offense right now, it's Kyle Pitts, and that's pretty much the only guy I'm taking. Again, I'm trying to take stands on certain things, and offenses are one of them. Yeah, like I see the logic. I definitely have a lot of Atlanta because I do think Drake London's pretty talented. I think you know Kyle Pitts, the the year two jump is always something that's really big for pass catchers and and well any any position players really, but uh, pass catchers in particular. Um, but I also just think it's a really clean stack that has some upside. And and you look at that offense, like where else are things going to go to? And I guess it comes down to like, do you think Arthur Smith is actually competent? And what he did in Tennessee, like as an offensive coordinator, like is not, you know, not unimpressive. Like they didn't have a ton of talent and he got some results last year, probably ran pretty bad overall with just what that team construction looked like. And then losing Ridley uh, this year though, like Drake London, uh, you know, I have the USC blanket behind me. I'm going to stand for some of the uh, fellow alums, but I think Atlanta could be sneaky and, and I don't mind taking some of the Atlanta's uh, Seattle. My Drew Locke brand has been strong. My uh, Jets guys, like, one of these guys can bubble up and, you know, people last year were taking the Bengals. And I think it's a little more obvious given those guys pedigrees, but you look at Atlanta, like first round capital of London, first round capital of Pitts, like they could theoretically make a jump if either Mariota's good or Ritter's good. Well, I, I think the only pushback I would have on that is people were taking Bengals. They weren't, they weren't overall excited about the offense, but they were excited about every individual piece. So we should have been more on the Bengals in general as a team, but we were more, individually looking at that team. Whereas like I look at Atlanta sort of like I looked at New Orleans last year. Whereas like I don't want any New Orleans saying I didn't even want a Kamara last year because I'm like that team is going to be bad. What is their opportunity level going to be? And so I'm kind of trying to maybe to to uh um to a fault right now on certain teams that I'm just taking hard stance against. So yeah, I mean, look, at this point, too, it's probably a little bit of a sunken cost fallacy because I know my Arizona-Atlanta Week 17 correlation is probably one of the highest owned I have, um, just in the hopes that, you know, both teams are a little bit better. And and Atlanta is, you know, I think if Atlanta's 8-8 eight and eight going into Week 17, like, they're probably a pretty high-powered 8-8, eight and eight, even if they're not, you know, good in real life. Yeah. Uh, so that's sort of my logic there. But, you know, at this point, I'm not going to begrudge anybody having stands as long as you are, you know, stacking your guys up and going for the Week 17 correlations because that's sort of the only thing you could do for yourself at this point of the of our knowledge base. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely week 17 stacks. It's definitely stacks in general for the playoffs is stuff that I'm looking at. But it's which teams do I think have the absolute best case of winning me money? Sort of like we do in a DFS slate, to be honest. And if I do find one that I think is a little against the field, I'll play that as well. But it doesn't mean I'm always going to find it. Um, so this is when things start to get ugly. I, where would you be going here? I don't hate Miles Sanders. Let me see I our do. team again. Um, yeah, we don't have anybody Buffalo. We don't have anybody Rams. I would take whichever guy you think is best available. Let's take Kirk. Let's have fun. Let's take Christian Kirk. 
I, I think he's fun. I, I'm, if anybody watches Splash Play, they know that I'm a big fan of his girlfriend. He's a, she was a lovely Instagram <laughs> influencer, Ozzy Oskin. If you want to go and Google, do your due diligence like I do. Um, but Christian Kirk, like they paid him a lot of money. Like you got to think they're going to at least give him a chance to fail. Um, so I think you know the fact that he's going behind Michael Thomas, who isn't even showing up to camp for the second straight year. Like the fact that he's going behind uh, some of those guys like Russell Gage, who's probably a little too steamy for you know the fact that Chris Godwin's going to be back at some point this year. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Kirk is undervalued. Like I get not having a ton of faith in him, but you could also easily set up then Trevor Lawrence for the stack late, and I think that's pretty appealing. We get the box <laughs> out in the chat. Which, the bonks which... have been a strong brand. I'm getting bonked left and right. Pete <laughs> make, makes gifts and plays them on streams. I'm not even on now. So if that's if that's what I could bring to best ball is a horny dog approach to everything, then so be it. You got to get your fame somewhere. You bring the horny. I bring the wrestling. And, you know, we, we have our own little individual corners of best ball. And not mutually exclusive, to be clear. Basically. <laughs> what the internet has shown me since the early days of me having dial-up. I think the wrestling horniness overlap is pretty strong. Uh, yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't go away doesn't go away you brought up maria she's around my area a lot because she's dating mike bennett who is from like two towns over from me so seen them randomly walking around a mall that doesn't exist anymore together um because remember when malls were a thing that's that's gone (laughs) well i grew up in new york and i was always very jealous of people that live near malls because in like new york city people don't go to malls like they don't like that's just not how that ecosystem works because there really aren't malls um, so mm-hmm. like in my mind malls were like you know i guess not like stranger things but like stranger things where they all go hang out there and then maybe occasionally you have to battle a monster that's eating your brother or whatever but uh, besides that though like malls seem like a good hang I, I mean i feel like i battled plenty of monsters when i used to go hang out at the mall i was definitely a mall kid and uh yeah that's where all the fights all the all the fun happened at the mall <laughs> lurking outside the h&m just looking for trouble <laughs> Just the movie theater, man. It was always outside the movie theater, at least around me. Um, after this pick, I think maybe we might want to talk about Stranger Things because I am upset that they're making us wait for the last two episodes of that. It's weird because there's another season still, too, Like, which is odd. Like, It feels like this is the finale. And I, no spoilers. I won't ruin it in case anybody out there is waiting to watch it. Yeah. But um, yeah, like I, I'm confused by the staggered release of everything these days. Um, I feel like running back here might be the move. You like Sanders or you like Pollard? I would go Pollard, but I also have a lot more Pollard. So whichever you prefer out of the two is cool by me. Let's grab Pollard. This is all about having fun. Um, yeah, Stranger Things, they, they are making it feel like the last season without spoiling anything. And they made like weird announcements that like it's not the final season, but it's the end of a lot of stories. And this is before the season came out, so I'm not like giving anything away. So, like, they made it like this weird thing, and I didn't watch the show Scrubs too much, but I remember that they did this whole, like, ending one season on Scrubs where it was, like, a big wrap-up, and then they were like, oh, but wait, we're coming back for another season. Everyone was like, you just wrapped the whole series up at the end of the last one, and that kind of feels like what Stranger Things is doing. Like, this is, even though this isn't going to be the last year, it's, like, going to be the last year. And it also feels like this, you know, again, this is teetering closer to spoilers, but still not a spoiler. Like it does feel like they've wrapped up some of the stories pretty well and, and kind of made that something that um, now, like, I think they made this whole thing make sense with how this has kind of uh, started to shape up. Uh, But I think it's also like, I'm tired looking at these kids, like fucking Finn Wolfhard looks weird. Like he just is strange looking in a way, but like, but still like handsome, but like ugly. Like he's like a Picasso where it's like nice to look at, but you don't really know what's going on there. Um, I just don't need to see him anymore. Like I'm tired of looking at these kids, like like grow and do some adult things or just don't be playing 18 year olds when Millie Bobby Brown is uh, 40 at this point. She 
she's the funny her and the redhead girl uh because i think she's like 20 something years old and it's like you still look like you're 13 though like <laughs> that's crazy uh but yeah spike week and <laughs> this is where you want to come to get your finn wolfhard <laughs> Um, Stranger Things releases the real Spike Week, Rob. And you know. <laughs> um, so best ball moderate asking a question. He's one of the regulars in our, and I feel like a lot of the best ball chats. Uh, I'm curious his thoughts, but like um, anyone worried Kirk is going to see Gilmore twice. I don't worry about this stuff at all, especially for best ball. Like you probably shouldn't worry about it DFS wise, but for best ball, especially like things like that, I think are where you could talk yourself into some good, out, out of some good plays in a way that's uh, detrimental to your wallet. I do like Garrett Wilson here. I can live with that. I don't hate that. Um, not that I'm a gigantic fan of the Jets offense, but I do think that they have positioned themselves to have one or two breakout players this year. And I think Garrett Wilson is definitely one of those guys that could just light it up for them. Yeah, Worried I'm, about I'm the quarterback. Yeah. Um, you could have talked me into Robert Woods too. And again, another, another USC guys, so, but I'm not going to stand all the USC guys. And also he is older. So I think that is something, but like Tennessee could be okay this year. Like, and I know Traylon Burks is the one that you look at and he was a monster. I think his college dominator numbers, uh, according to the player profiler stats are like the highest percentile out of everybody in the draft class, but he hasn't practiced at all. Like, and, he, and it's getting weird when they talk about it where the asthma thing, like I was like, ah, it's not anything. I have asthma. Like I could, I could get out there, run some routes, no big deal. But like, he's just not practicing enough. And, it kind of seems like Vrabel, when he's talking to the media, is getting more clipped about it. That it just worries me that, you know, sometimes these guys show up and they're just not, you know, not ready to be football gamers, especially for their boomer coach that just wants them to be obsessed with being on the field. And that worries me enough that Woods could have a little more value than people are seeing. Mike Vrabel versus wide receivers is the feud that we're all here for. <laughs> that That is probably the season six of Stranger Things where he just turns into this – uh upside down monster just chasing every wide receiver out the field he was battling aj brown last year behind the seeds battling julio jones now it's trailing burks like this dude does not like wide receivers and uh I mean, yeah. it shows he also like got mad though on that draft video when they traded uh aj brown too and it's like you should have thrown him the ball then a little bit like just <laughs> throw him the ball maybe more than four times a game here and there uh and i think that would have solved the problem but it is weird. I guess maybe that's the defensive player at heart where he's just like, oh, these soft diva receivers. I'm back in my day. I would have lit you up over the middle. And I don't know. Yeah. Coming from the Bill Belichick defense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They, uh, this offseason, man, just was like the craziest offseason of all time. And it's funny because it's calmed down a little bit. And when June 1st hit, I thought we were going to see more fireworks. I'm like, well, everything else went off like crazy. So, these veteran cuts after June 1st are going to go nuts. And we saw like almost nothing on the June 1st cuts, which blew my mind. Like, so I don't know. This season just had me spinning the whole, the whole last three months trying to build content around it. It was just <laughs> crazy. Yeah. The, the wide receiver thing is interesting to me because I think this is the first time where fantasy and real life are starting to align in a meaningful way where we've now, you know, as a fantasy community devalued running backs pretty heavily for the most part, I guess, maybe not in some of these best ball draft rooms, but overall, like I think enough people have poked holes in like the value of running backs and, you know, paying them when they've already had the past production and they're probably just going to be downhill at that point. But receivers are the most valuable commodity we have. And now all those guys are getting paid and yeah, I'm happy to see it. Cause I like, I am, I'm a receiver guy more than anything as, as this draft might be showing. Yeah, any any of these receivers jumping out to you? Gallup, Patrick, Landry, Hardman. Um, you got Coral um, Patterson on board for your favorite team, the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> Melvin Gordon, P 
Penny, Ramondre. I'm not a big Gallup guy. I guess I would go maybe Rashad Penny, but he would he'll probably keep falling. Um, but for that Jets correlation, we can get Penny. Uh, I'll just grab him now because we were running down the clock. I have uh, timed out quite a bit this year, which is not something I was doing in the past, but it uh, seems to happen here and there, especially on a stream. Yeah, that's especially when you have the full draft board window. Like that's one of the things that people when you like if you're watching a lot of these best ball streams, it really throws you for a loop when you're producing because you don't see like when your pick is coming up. And that's something that I've had to adjust to where it's like, oh, yeah, I got to keep like actively looking everywhere because um, you'll miss your pick and then everybody will make fun of you and think you're an idiot. And it's like, no, it's just hard to talk and and run a stream and also hit your picks in time. Yes, I, I completely agree. So after this next pick, we're going to run down our team and show how we're going to win $3 million in five months. Because that's I the like, goal. I of like the team. headline, though. That is a strong headline that you went there. And uh, it seems unlikely. <laughs> like, I, I mean, what do you think the odds are actually of like the actual winner of the tournament winning regular season? Because it feels like they're probably just not going to be correlated enough. No, not at all. It's it's not going to happen. I I'm um, I'm with the camp of they needed to spread that million dollars out a little bit more to the regular season stuff. But I also coming from a poker background, understand that, like, the thought process is to show a big number. So that's why, like, you see these top heavy poker tournaments. It's because they want to show you this top heavy number so that people are like going to play for that prize, which in essence, it always gets chopped at the final table. Not always, but it gets chopped at the final table frequently to, to flatten out that pay scale a little bit. But you can't do that in best ball. That's that's the difference is you, ain't, you can't chop. I mean, unless you somehow know everybody, all 400 people at the last week of, of best ball mania, you're not chopping anything. Yeah. And that's another part too, you know, to go back to what we were talking about earlier with why, like I'm in particular very into best balls. Like so many people are drafting for that week 14 win. And I just think that's not going to be the right approach. And again, you know, Pete, my podcast partner does a lot of these uh, great short form videos on his channels that I think outline it pretty well. His uh, breakdown of the expected value of week 17, I think is pretty big, but uh, Pete, mm -hmm. if you're draft for week 14, I think you're making a mistake. So almost literally every wide receiver we had before is still on the board. We do have Ramondre still on the board as well. Um, I don't think we need to grab another quarterback yet. Anyone yeah. you would like to grab here? Rashad White's my favorite talent-wise out of the group, but we don't have any correlations. Parker, I think, is undervalued too. So I would say either Rashad White or Devontae Parker would be. I quick buttoned Rashad White. No, that's fair. Rashad White's a beast. I like the fact too that he's going after fantasy football analysts over DMs and like, don't compare me to Ronald Jones. Like, <laughs> I look that kind of passion is what I want on my roster, whether it works out or not. And if Fournette gets hurt, like they got to put somebody out there. And Rashad White's like a total package back. Yeah, I mean, I and for the wrestling aspect, I need I need players that are cutting promos on the media. <laughs> it's just it's it makes my life much better whenever I get that kind of content. Unlike the freaking Miami Dolphins head coach that did that whole weird plane ride with two on the phone. Oh, my God. What are we doing? I, I think that's the reason Miami's going to fail this year is they have that that coach that just no one is going to listen to. They're saying all the right stuff. Like even Tyreek saying like, oh, like two is so much more accurate. Like, first of all, he's outright lying, but they're clearly <laughs> all committed to the lie. Like they're all in on the bit and like, yeah, we just got to keep pumping two up because I've, I've not been a big two a believer. I do think if you look at the data and you take kind of that personal bias out, like he was a lot better year two than he was year one. It's still not good enough to justify, I think, that portion of things. Says Miami Mike gets pulled up on the screen. Hopefully, he's not a big Tua fan. Um, 
I just think, you know, it is kind of fish or cut bait time with Tua. So I'm curious to see what they do. And, and I do think if anybody's going to protect them, it's a guy who was the offensive coordinator for Jimmy Garoppolo last year, who basically hid the fact that he was about as worthless as anybody, but still added more value to the, you know, the expected points added and all that stuff as much as anybody. God, I can't stand Jimmy Garoppolo. I couldn't stand him when he was here in New England. Never thought he was good. He proved that he's not good. And the ultimate luck box is Jimmy Garoppolo. I've never seen a guy just luck box his way through an NFL career as much as Jimmy G has. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the game managers ever in general. Like, I've always been more of a fan of the Ryan Fitzpatrick's or, or, you know, the Josh Allen's of the world. Obviously, Josh Allen's actually good. But there was a point where people were like, oh, Josh Allen, what a fail. Like, he's so bad his rookie year. But he was throwing deep balls. He was running. He was taking big hits. But, like, he was doing all the stuff you look for fantasy-wise. And I think that's always going to be the better archetype. Um, I don't mind taking Parker here. Uh, We are not. I'm sorry. I have to veto Devontae Parker because he's awful. Yes. (laughs) Do you want to take her? Or I'll, I'll I, go, or Van Jefferson for the correlation. Van Jefferson is where I was going to go for okay. our correlation with our Mike Williams. Yeah, dude, we cannot take Devontae Parker. Are you taking Devontae Parker in drafts? I am a good amount. Um, not like a crazy amount over the field, but like he is the wide receiver one. And he's like, so here's the thing in Miami. He was basically as good as Preston Williams, but Preston Williams is also pretty good before he got hurt. So I think there's something there. I also think Devontae Parker suck it up to Mac Jones when he first got traded, I think is a positive. The fact they gave him new money, also a positive. Um, but I think Mac Jones is going to be better and Parker is a, a weapon there that, you know, Aguilar was decent for stretches last year. Jacoby Myers is decent for stretches. Like uh, Kendrick Bourne was like way better than he should be on a per route basis. Uh, I think that can be Parker's role. Uh, it's just, you know, it is sort of a, you could definitely cut it the other way and go like, oh, there's all these other, these other guys there who are also competent and maybe they take it away from him. It's Henry. Like the only two guys I'm drafting for the passing game is Hunter Henry and um, Kendrick Bourne, just because him and Mac Jones are BFFs. So he's going to be on the field quite a bit. Devontae Parker, he screams veteran wide receiver that comes to New England and does nothing. It was it was a thing for a long time. It's going to continue to be a thing. And I just I can't do it. I just can't do it. He is he is older than you would think or than I would think. He is 29. Um they're turned 29 this year, but still, like that's yeah, he could be on the downside. I guess I just think they recognize that they needed a real wide receiver one. Like it was odd last year that Bourne was so good and they just didn't run him out for every snap of the game. Like I didn't get that logic. But um, yeah, I'm willing to take some stabs, and I think it's also informed by the fact that you know, New England, Miami, very easy week 17 correlation to get to if you do want to go that way. Best ball moderate, bring up that Chase Daniel is a lucky quarterback as well. I'll give you that. I'll give you Chase Daniel, and I will also give you oh, – his name is escaping me – the guy that went from New England to Kansas City, Matt Castle, who made oh, yeah. millions and millions and millions of dollars being the absolute luck box that he was, and uh, good for him. <laughs> Never going to jealous- these guys getting paid. Like Matt Flynn is the ultimate one when he went to oh, Seattle after that one good game <laughs> as a Packer. That's – I mean, you can't, you can only be envious. <laughs> it's like a guy that just wants to get paid for the barest minimum of effort. Um, So I was going to say to take Trevor Lawrence here, but Kirk Cousins still on the board at 149. Like, 30 we don't have any picks. correlation, though. I, guess, I know, but I mean, we, we have some things we can do on the back end with that if you wanted to. I would take Trevor Lawrence because we did make the bet on Kirk. But if you want to go Cousins, I'm not going to overrule you on your own stream. (laughs) No, no, it's fine. We'll take Trevor Lawrence. But with Cousins, I wouldn't have hated taking um, 
setting up an Irv Smith. Is he gone already? Yeah, Irv went, I think, in okay. that last run. So it'd, we'd well, be going for Osborne and uh, okay. Amir Smith-Marset, which I think gets less appealing for me personally. Yeah, why not even get Osborne on the turn back? So it probably makes more sense to get to get um, the quarter Trevor Lawrence out in the spot we got him. I cannot talk today. This is hot. This is one of those days. You just push through days. it. As long as you say it confidently <laughs> when you flub, like that's what I've learned over my career. Just keep talking. Eventually, people will forget that you you say something wrong half the time. It happens. Um, so let's run through our team since we never did that. We have Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Rashad Penny, Rashad White, Jamar Chase, Mike Williams, Deontay Johnson, Christian Kirk, Garrett Wilson, Van Jefferson, and Mark Andrews at tight end. I actually don't hate the way this team is stacking up. If we didn't, feel like we could get a little more talent at wide receiver, but I don't know how we would have done that, honestly. Yeah, I mean, like, who who do you think? I I, I love the wide receiver core, to be honest with you. I think it's pretty talented. I understand what you're saying. Cause like, it feels like maybe one more before Kirk mm-hmm. would have made sense. Um, but overall it's not bad. Josh Jacobs is kind of interesting with all the reports that are coming out for him. Cause I think he's going to start sliding down the draft board. And as someone that wasn't taking a ton of him, once he starts going round seven, round eight, round nine, just give me all the Josh Jacobs that I can get at that point. Yeah, there's some risk profile to him, but we know Josh McDaniels coming in is going to try to run that ball. And also they have enough pass catching weapons that there should be some goal line looks to go his way. And that's probably not Kenyon Drake territory and uh, maybe could be Samir White. But I I don't know, like I don't have that confidence level for a rookie coming in who wasn't a a high draft capital guy. Um, So I think Josh Jacobs to me feels like appropriately valued. But I agree, like if he goes starts going to the 70s or 80s um, and he he is in a, a contract year. So like it is one of those spots where like they could cut Josh Jacobs in August and it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world. Like get another DUI and then at this point if you're the Raiders you probably can't have that on your on your rep or your rep uh, your roster <laughs> your repertoire I'm gonna blame the the uh upper respiratory infection on that flub <laughs> fair enough and again Josh Jacobs on offense like I'm targeting high value offenses right so I think the Raiders are gonna be a have tons of opportunity in the red zone on the goal line he's gonna get tons of work around there Whereas like a guy like Kamara, I'm worried about them even getting in the red zone more than once a game, twice a game, and just not getting the work. And Kamara, we have other problems with him based on suspension stuff. But I was just using him as an example, as a big name running back that people like, where I'd rather have a guy like Josh Jacobs later and build my wide receiver core or anything yeah. else around around my team. I mean, I love that Niners Raiders week 17 correlation. Like I'm a big believer in those teams being there and, you know, and it's still having to play for something down the stretch because they are both in really tough divisions. Like, you know, both Wests are pretty tough. And I feel like also, you know, the Raiders, I think they're going to get a lot more East West movement for their receivers, you know, so really get to the digging our our hands into the grass for this. But I think they're going to be doing a lot of stuff just to make that off that ball move down the field in a way that fits what the Patriots have done. Um, so I, I love the, just, I know it's going to be chalky to have the Devonte Adams, Debo Samuel part of it, but mm-hmm. I'm hoping like, you know, two man stacks onslaughts and Josh Jacobs mixed in, uh, for that game. I'm, I'm hoping we'll give you some money at the end of the year. All right. So I'm going to remove quarterback from our list. Mm-hmm. We are on the clock again. We could have waited on the Rams and grabbed Higby. That would have been fun. And you got Marvin Jones and, and get our double stack. I don't hate that we can ensure that double stack could have probably waited a little bit if we wanted to and grabbed Evan Ingram, but Mm. I I don't hate Marvin Jones at all for the double stack. 
I do like Alec Pierce. I see him going right away, and I feel like that's always the case with Alec Pierce. If you pass on him, whoever's after you is going to take Alec Pierce if he's on the board. Like That's just how that goes. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if I'm right about this or if I'm biased by the fact that he is a lanky white guy wide receiver, but Cooper Cup vibes for Alec Pierce. I will say that time and time again that like he's fast. He can kind of get behind guys more than people realize. Good route runner, like apparently looking good so far in the mini camps and all that. Um, where it wouldn't shock me if he actually is what makes Michael Pittman kind of come back down to earth. Not not Matt Ryan. It's just that Alec Pierce is good enough to take his share away. Michael Pittman's an interesting guy, too. We didn't really talk about him. We actually just kind of skipped over him when he was on the board earlier. Seems like it. the funny thing is, is everyone that I listen to and watch draft and all this other stuff, nobody likes Michael Pittman, but he's maintaining that third, fourth round drafts that ADP right now. And it's like, well, if nobody likes him, who's drafting him? Hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I, I've heard people say like that are pretty sharp thinking that he's going to start going to the two, three turn in best ball mania, just because it's a, a sharper room that it isn't like the puppy per se. Um, yeah. So I, I wouldn't be shocked, but I do think people really, I think people didn't buy into the Michael Pippen year last year, maybe because there just wasn't anybody else to throw to. Um, and I don't know if that makes him undervalued or appropriately valued or what. Um, but I do think Colt stacks are kind of interesting because you get Matt Ryan so cheap, you can get Pierce so cheap and, and you are leveraging directly against Jonathan Taylor at the one one then. All right, we're going to be coming back up on the clock here in a few picks. We've got a 2471 build right now. Is there a way that you're looking here? We have a bunch of running backs that are towards the top of the, the board. There are some wide receivers that are left that have some high upside. You got like William Fuller. We got Hayden Hurst at tight end. Um, yeah, I mean, the running backs, I don't think make the most sense for us with Lawrence and, and Lamar. So I wouldn't take Gus or Robinson. Um, Jamal Williams, I don't mind because he is leverage against Swift McKissick. We could probably get a little bit later. Um, I don't have a strong feel like honestly, all the guys on the board are not speaking to me. Let's grab Williams for now. I almost grabbed Will Fuller and just pretty much capped off our wide receiver. Or, you know, we could have that luxury pick in the 18th. We should be looking at tight end at some point. Hurst wouldn't have been a... Oh, actually, we don't need to get Hurst. We have Chase. Although I don't mind double stacking them uh, without having Burrow. It's not a big deal to me. Yeah, we should probably prioritize it. I Honestly, I wouldn't mind doing the triple stack if Ingram is still there when we get back just to get yeah. one more tight end who's actually correlated. Yeah, and Lawrence is a quarterback that I don't mind triple stacking. You know, yeah. as much as I like single stacking these quarterbacks like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, if I have a guy, not that Trevor Lawrence can't run, but he's more of a statue than a runner. I looking at double and triple stacking those guys like Brady. I'm fine with double triple stacking um, Kirk Cousins. You'd want a double stack if you're taking a guy like that. So. Uh, best ball moderate so i'm curious rob how you think about the stuff but he's asking can jt and Pittman both get there like how do you think about the stuff because i tend to view it as like there's only a finite amount of pie for everybody unless the team is like a world beater and then you should be making really big bets on them but i think they can both get there but the value is probably in like taking Pittman to leverage against taylor just because taylor is going at the 101 and like if that fails like like a mccaffrey did historically or something like that or derrick henry i guess down the stretch of last year like mm-hmm. there's more value in leveraging against people failing as always the way that i feel for dfs and for best ball in particular yeah but can can they both get there i would say yes because they're gonna be a middle of the road offense they're gonna be in the teens for total total points and everything like that you know 16th 17th ranked offense in my mind and that means that they're going to have guys that are doing stuff it's just 
what is getting there? What I mean, JT to get there has to be the number one overall running back, right? Mm-hmm. So it's already a razor thin margin of what he's going to do. And now Michael Pittman, you're taking him as your second wide receiver usually. So like you get a little more flexibility on what he actually has to do to quote unquote get there. But it's still tough. It's it's not the NFL's tough, man. It's tough to get this stuff right. And you're not who who's drafting JT and Michael Pittman together. Right. I mean, a lot of people, I think that giants week 17 correlation is kind of interesting too. Cause you can get Tony late. You can get Daniel Jones late. You can get, if you want to get Galladay, but you could also get Wandale very late. Um, I like that overall. Like, I think that's one way to get different. If you are taking JT at the one one is like, just take some giants and bring it back on that end. Because I, I just don't think people are doing that correlation enough from what I've seen. Yeah. But what giants are you taking? That gets to that question. What giants are you taking? Cause if you're taking, if you're taking JT, and you're trying to do a week 17 and we're talking about DFS builds, we never want to run our running backs next to each other. Right. Well, so I mean, K- Kadarius Tony can get there. I mean, he's getting like, there's a lot of reports of him being kind of a Debo Samuel role. And I guess he's still hurt. So we're not seeing in camp yet, but like they've had Slayton running out of the backfield. So he's the one I would go to. And yeah, Evan Ingram, I think we're on the same page with that. Yeah. We'll grab Ingram. We'll get that, that full onslaught of Jacksonville. And my other one is Kenny Galladay. Like if there's any wide receiver that has a chance at a bounce back here, it is him. And he's usually right at that tier that once you take Kenny Galladay, there's no wide receivers I like for like two to three rounds at that point. So I, I do think that the Colts Giants is an interesting stack for week 17. I don't hate it, but you're investing a lot of capital on one side of the ball, which is the Colts. You'd have to take JT, you'd have to take Pittman, two of your first four picks. And I guess the the balancing act on that is you're taking your Giants later. But you're probably fading Saquon, who is probably the best bet of a giant, is is my only thought. I, yeah, I'm not getting anywhere near enough Saquon. I actually might have more Matt Breida than Saquon right now just because I can't I can't take Saquon in the third round when we've seen him like uh, you know, he's built out of pure muscle. His, his thighs are probably as large as uh, as, <laughs> as Rob's screen behind him. But I but like he just <laughs> can fail so many ways and it just worries me so much that I'd rather try to make the bet for other parts. And I will, I will plant my flag for Darius Tony. Like I think he showed a lot last year and he also wants to punch people all the time. Like I want these guys who are ordinary, but also have some production on the field and extrapolate that. And he's going to bring that hustle to this season. My favorite Kadarius Tony stat was that for the first one to three weeks of the season last year, I had more NFL receiving yards than him. <laughs> yeah. That's always a fun game when you could poke, when you could poke that hole for any stat. Um, all right. Oof. Um, I wouldn't mind Foreman just to get another running back in who can profit off of a, a top guy failing. For me, I would be taking a wide receiver here. So it'd be Odell oh. or, or actually let's take Odell. And I'm just taking this override because we did take Van Jefferson, who I believe is going to be okay. But if Odell does resign with the Rams, at least we get that flip side of Mike Williams, and he'll probably end up taking the third wide receiver spot there. So it's our eighth wide receiver. We're just gambling at this point, to be perfectly honest. And I like a lot of the um, late round running backs, the 18th yeah. round running backs. So no, I'm, I'm with you on that. And uh, yeah, some guys here, like a Kuruk in here, took Antoine Wesley. I have not seen Antoine Wesley get drafted once, and Dubs going to the 17th, like. This draft has some interesting texture to it that I, I don't feel like you see very often in some of these drafts. 
Seems to be what's happening a lot with the drafts that I'm in. We had some real weird team drafted last night on the Spike Week team on the Spike Week stream. Last Monday there was another like crazy one, and this is all best ball mania stuff. It's not even puppy drafts, and you're just like, okay, um, I'm all I'm all about getting unique, so I don't completely get you know what some of these guys are doing, but you know, all the power to you. Yeah, that is one of those things too, where like in DFS, you don't see people making, you know, colossal errors usually in structure in real time. Whereas in basketball drafts, you see it unfold, like unfold right before your eyes in a way that it maybe makes the room seem dumber than they actually are. But like when you see a guy putting like five running backs on the board in the first five rounds, I'm like, what are like, did you, do you just not care? Like, do you not, did you not do any research? You're like, yeah, I would like to light $25 on fire. Or do you think that this is like so smart and you've done something that nobody else has thought of because either way, like it's not the right approach. No, I, I completely agree. Um, best ball moderate said so many people are ruining JT teams by taking Saquon at the two, three mm-hmm. turn. I agree with this to the point that we've brought up a few times is how many people are you seeing take Jonathan Taylor at the one overall and just automatically building a hyper-fragile team with all the same guys. It'll be JT, it'll be Saquon Barkley, and then it's Nick Chubb, Javante Williams, something somewhere in that wheelhouse. Like It's like those four guys. It's like, okay, well, everyone's doing that. Literally everyone's doing that with JT. So if I get the one-on-one and I get Jonathan Taylor, it's like I'm just going Hero RB just so that my team is completely as different from those those, um, hyper-fragile teams as possible. Yeah. And I'm generally like, I'm much more a fan of the hero anchor RB build. If you are going to take one of those guys, like I've tried to do hyper fragile. I know, um, you know, again, Pete loves them. So I sometimes get roped into doing them on splash play, but like, I feel so much more comfortable just taking one of those running backs and taking, you know, reaching you even at receiver to get some of those guys in because especially some of these rooms we do on streams where like everybody in the chat's pretty sharp at taking receivers. I um, mean, that's mm-hmm. the people who then end up in your best ball drafts. Like if you lose out on receiver early, you might just be screwed if you're going hyper fragile and taking running backs in those first three rounds. Well, and, and I think that's the mistake is that people that plan to go hyper fragile, they're like, I have to go the first three rounds with it where I think you can do hyper fragile builds with, running backs through the fifth or sixth round. We talked about Cam Akers. We could do it with someone like J.K. Dobbins, and you could still get four decent running backs. So mm-hmm. that's kind of like my stance. When I'm taking my hyper-fragile teams, they're a little bit inverted. Um, yeah, I that's smart. So of these running backs, the guys who took them, God damn it, Geraldo. Oh, Duke. Um, wait, wait. Uh, Deer, oh, I'm, okay. a, I'm a big Dearness Johnson believer this year. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Uh, um, I was gonna, I thought Hassan Haskins is going to be your guy because that's my guy. But um, whoever you want here, I would support. But Foreman's probably the one I have the most of. We can go Foreman. I, I like Mostert, especially at this far back. And the reason I like Mostert is, as much as I just made fun of the Miami coaching staff, Mostert is coming over from San Francisco. He's going to be that guy that they're going to rely on to get some work in and know the offense and protect his quarterback and yada, 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 all the, you know, the talking points. But I think there's some truth to it where Mostert is going to get some work there in Miami and he could take a lot of the goal line work as well. Yeah. The Sony Michelle thing is a little bit of a risk. And I was taking Mostert pretty heavy when he was at the one seventies, one sixties before they signed Sony Michelle. Um, so I, I have a little bit of a blinder on for Mostert now, but like, I agree, like, you know, the previous coaching staff thing, the fact that people are down on him because he was hurt last year, like, he can yep. easily come back in and be the guy who almost won the Niners a Super Bowl, and it wouldn't be shocking. Right. Um, so we are done with this draft. Let's hit 
on our team. See, Rob, you got to pull up the, the pro spike week chat from Jonathan Gator there. Thank you guys for the hard work and interesting insights this is where I'll be spending my summer. That's how, that's promotion 101. Vince McMahon to be ashamed if you didn't <laughs> put that on the screen right now. I, I was going to bring it up after we went through our team. I, I wanted to give the people the, the full experience of the team. And I know the screen's going to change and then we got to go back into the draft and all that fun shit. So, but yes, thank you, Jonathan, for being with us over here at Spike Week. Make sure you're checking out Splash Play as well. And you see, you see, Spags, you ruined it. Now I have to go back and go to the other thing. <laughs> I threw you off by giving you this compliment from Jonathan Gator, yeah, who sounds like an adorable children's book. <laughs> it does sound like an adorable children's book. So good. Um, while we're doing these. Acres and ETN, a good start to a fragile RB build in that six to nine range, in my opinion. And I completely agree. So if you take like Jonathan Taylor and then you take Acres and Travis ETN, you're pretty much done at running back. I'm not a guy that subscribes to you need to have three and a hyper fragile and that's it. You can't take a fourth. I'm fine with taking the, a flyer on the fourth and the 17th or 18th round if it makes sense to you and to your team. So, yeah, I mean, like who's looking at that team and being like, oh, your hyper fragile build sucks. Because you have yeah. Travis Etienne as your third, right? Etienne so, is one of those guys who I think could really spike. Like he's already gone up ten spots in ADP over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean I'm not a big Etienne guy, but I I completely understand it, and I think he fits to the point I'm making, so I'll I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> so our team for this draft was Lamar Jackson and Trevor Lawrence. We have Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Rashad Penny, Rashad White, Jamal Williams, Raheem Mostert at running back. Jamar Chase, Mike Williams, Deontay Johnson, Christian Kirk, Garrett Wilson, Van Jefferson, Marvin Jones, Odell at wideout, and Andrews and Ingram. And that's how you make $3 million. One can only hope. I mean, you got to live up to the YouTube. We know no time there's ever been a YouTube upload where the title was incorrect or inaccurate in some way. So we just have to win now, all of it. <laughs> yeah, we have to win all the money. And honestly, $1.5 million to you, $1.5 million to me. Um, we would never stream again. Dude, no, I, 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 I would i would continue to stream but i would be like liam is doing it where it's like real half-assed where it's like oh you won the money and now you're like how do i how do i actually do this now like i'll take my time i have this million dollars i don't need to hustle on any respect I, now i think i bullied liam into finally creating his youtube channel yesterday i um i just wanted to, to roast him a little bit so i went to youtube and i typed in liam murphy and i started scrolling and I scrolled, I have a clip up on Twitter. I scrolled for 45 seconds and there's all these Liam Murphys and he's not one of them. I'm like, how are you the only Liam Murphy on the planet that hasn't created the YouTube channel yet? <laughs> and now I mean, he has a really up. popular name, I would think in particular parts of the world. Like that feels like there's a guy in every Irish pub named Liam Murphy oh, somewhere under the, under the there's bar. <laughs> probably a hundred of them in Boston, to be perfectly yeah. honest, so. Yeah, Liam, right. I think is doing a, a special like uh, not to plug Liam here for free, but Liam's doing like a uh, twelve-hour marathon to celebrate his winning a million dollars, which I just got booked on today. So I'm doing, I'm hitting oh, all the, the media availabilities, the car wash of best ball streams. <laughs> we um we've been talking about doing a twenty-four hour stream too. I'm just trying to plan out how to do it, and with the Royal Rumble, that kind of took precedent. But I want to do that with some sort of charity aspect to it, where we do something for animals or whatever. Um, we decide, I think if you're doing it on underdog, then it makes sense to do some sort of animal charity, but that's something to talk about at another time. Um, until then, any closing thoughts on being on a spike week stream? Did you, was it I mean, everything look, you I think you're in good be? hands here, whether you are a person named like Jonathan Gator, who sounds like a child, uh, book character, or if you are just somebody <laughs> out there trying to learn more about best ball, like 
uh, you know, channels like Spike Week, I think, do a really good job where you know, the show I do with Pete Splash Play, we do a little more of the hijinks and try to bring informative things to it. But I think getting a mix of, you know, Rotoviz as well, I would give the plug. I don't know if, I don't know if we're allowed to plug. <laughs> Thanks for taking the competitors here, Rob. But I like, you know, just watch all the stuff, like have fun. Like this is the time of the year where like build your knowledge base is when my, my suggestion, that's what I'm trying to do for myself. Um, but you know, watching Spike Week, I think is one of those things where you and Bime for are doing a great job bringing on good guests and, and great brand and great thumbnails. That's what, that's the main thing. You don't care about the info, care about the thumbnails. Uh, for me, best ball is all about having fun. If you're not having fun, you shouldn't be doing it to be perfectly honest. Uh, drafting is fun. Fantasy football mm -hmm. is fun. And if you're taking it overly serious, you should be looking at it as a game theory thing. But once you're not having fun, don't play anymore. And it's probably not something I should be saying when we're, we're, we're pushing best ball stuff. But honestly, like I see it in the poker community a ton where people would just get so upset and they weren't having fun playing. Don't do it to yourself. Best ball, I think, is a way better community than poker. People mm -hmm. are more together. We're all competing against each other. Like, and you wouldn't know that because of how inviting everybody is, how open everybody is to discussion. So that's what I love about best ball, to be perfectly honest. Same for me. Look, I've been in a lot of communities over the course of the years. Like I've worked at Barstool, which is a tough community. Like they either love you or they are shitting on you time and time again, as I'm sure Rob knows from the local boots on the ground in the New England area. But, you know, yeah. they're the DFS community, the sports betting communities. I would say if you are on Spike Week's channel, you're doing a good job getting into a, a good group of people that actually will try to teach you and make you smarter about this and hopefully make it so you don't draft five running backs to start your draft and lose your money right away. And make sure you're checking out Splash Play because it's all the same over there. It's a lot of fun, but they are very informative. And I enjoy their streams. I jump in every once in a while, and I'll be in the chat here and there. Um, until then, do you got any parting shots for any of the competitors in the Spike Week Royal Rumble? I'm look, I'm just excited to be part of the mix there. I feel like I might get eliminated early on, thrown over and try to skin the cat and then slip like Kofi Kingston. But I love that you prepared a belt here for yourself. Like that is that is commitment to the bit on a level far beyond what I'm doing. Well, the first thing that I did as a member of Roto Grinders is I made them purchase a $300 title that I immediately spray painted. And the second thing was to cut a promo on the vice president of the company. So I'm doing well, I guess. <laughs> so, they, they won't forget your name. And that's half the battle, as we know. That's that's what it is. <laughs> By the way, Jonathan Gator, I don't want to harp on him, but ex-Special Forces Interrogator, actually terrible child's book angle is what I was <laughs> Yeah, I don't, that's think no that's gonna, I, my life. I don't think that's going to get published, but uh, <laughs> until Friday, you'll be seeing me and Chris Braggs again. We will talk to you later. Bye, guys.